Hi, I'm Ronnie Michael, Global Head of Innovation for KPMG International, and it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Back From 2040 podcast, where I ask business leaders, innovators, academics, and forward thinkers to travel to 2040, tell us what the world looks like, and explore how we got there. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. David Newman, Director of MIT Media Lab, Apollo Professor of Astronautics at MIT, and a Harvard-MIT Health Sciences and Technology faculty member. She was the NASA Deputy Administrator, and in 2021, she was named as one of the world's most influential women engineers. Welcome, Deva. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to join you today. Great to come back from the future with you. Yeah, and you know, you've researched travel in space and underwater, but this time we've sent you all the way into the future. And I couldn't be more curious to hear about your time in 2040. So now you're not just back here in 2022, you're also back on Earth. And I really want to talk about your stay in 2040. Of course, this is your 2040, the 2040 that you believe you can go to. So let's get started. I mean, there is so much excitement today about this new era of space exploration and tourism. Tell me all about it. What does space exploration look like in 2040? And have we finally become an interplanetary species? Yes, we have. We have people living on Earth, of course, spaceship Earth, my favorite planet. Glad to be here. But we also have had a great time on the moon. We've been on the moon for over 10 years, which is fantastic. And guess what? In the 2030s, we reached Mars. So now I can say that we you know, have all are also Martian explorers. And so we really truly are interplanetary. So it's always good to come home. This is the planet where we have all our friends and family, everyone we, we know and love. But it is great to see our, our colleagues, the interplanetary beings, also living and thriving on the moon, testing out our technologies. And Mars, well, I mean, Mars is that beautiful red planet. I was glad to visit, but I'm also really glad to be home too, because boy, Earth looked really, really small for Mars, which just, you know, just a little speck. And so it's really great to travel back home to spaceship Earth. Well, that sounds amazing. So it sounds like this whole new world has completely new economies and ecosystems. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that and what that looks like? So let's think about the used to be called new space economy, right? Way back in 2022. Well, now it's just the economy and, you know, the <laughs> global economy. So all of the countries on Earth participating in global exploration, of course, and just let's uh, right in low Earth orbit, close to Earth, just say 400 kilometers up, about 250 miles up. That's where the economy really now is for space because that's where so much of the manufacturing has moved to, making things, 3D printing, a lot of pharmaceuticals, a lot of new materials. And that's great because of course, you know, it's just hours back and forth round trip from Earth to low Earth orbit. So that's really where the economy is is booming and has been now for the last decade. Then exploration, it's really not then about the economy. That's of course about our explorers and our scientists. That's who we have now living on Mars and the moon. Wow, that sounds like we've really gotten deep into space. So how deep have we gotten? Is Mars the deepest that we've gotten? And what have we done there? Oh my goodness, on Mars, guess what? Just in the last few years, those those late 2030s, we found the evidence of past life. 
Wow. So we had to rewrite all the science books. Now it's a past life. It's from 3.5 billion years ago, if you can believe it. But we've been looking and looking, of course, 60 years we've been exploring Mars, but the first 50 years, of course, were just with our rovers and orbiters. When we finally got people to Mars in the 2030s, 2031 in particular, that first mission is amazing to get the first four humans to Mars. Goodness sakes, now we've been exploring the, the decade of the 2030s on Mars. We're with our machines, our rovers, our robots, but then finding those fossils that absolutely prove that past life existed on, on Mars. Today, Mars today, meaning 2040, today Mars is still pretty darn cold. It's freezing. You get up in the morning and it's negative 20 degrees C. And uh, nighttime, it can get down to almost negative 100 degrees C. So pretty chilly. You have to have your life support system. You have to have your suits on. You have to be in your rovers, all of your life support system. But then uh, we're growing food. It's very plentiful. We're still small. We just have, you know, a few dozens of people on, on Mars since it's so far away. You know, it takes me eight months to get there just one way. It takes a year and a half to get home. So to come back to Earth and talk to you today in the 2040s, of course, you know, I've been traveling almost two, two years in space to round trip to get to Mars and then get back home so we could have this wonderful podcast. Well, I'm so glad you made it on time. And it sounds like we really have to keep our people safe in these different planets and on Mars specifically. But I really wanted to talk about actual space exploration missions because those have their own challenges from, you know, radiation exposure, but also the, you know, keeping astronauts and, and probably within 2040 space travelers healthy, both physically and psychologically. So how has that been addressed in the almost 20 years that have passed up until 2040? Oh, great question. And um, you remember way back to uh, 2020 and 2022 when we had that pandemic and kind of rocked rocked our world and kind of dislocated and disrupted pretty much life as we knew it back on Earth. But as I say, everyone was training to be astronauts because everyone learned how to live in isolation and confinement. And so we kind of now fast forward. Those are really good lessons to learn. I tell everyone, oh, you're all astronauts. You know, you're all crew on spaceship Earth, but it takes a toll. It takes a toll on our mental health, even our physical health when you're in these small, isolated, confined environments. Well, that's kind of daily life, actually, when, when you live on the moon and Mars. And so you do need to, uh, you know, really be resilient. So we do go through extensive training, of course, trying to keep people both mentally and physically well. Then put on top of that, you need to be in a spacesuit because the moon and Mars, the uh, moon has, is a vacuum. It doesn't have an atmosphere. So you're always, if you're, you know, an explorer and you're doing your work, we are doing a lot of work on, on the moon in terms of, um, uh, we're mining, basically, we're mining that that ice, ice reserves in the South Pole, as I mentioned before. Boy, oh boy, the moon's really cold, plus 100 degrees Celsius, minus 100 degrees Celsius. So it's uh, pretty crazy. So you always have to be protected to keep everyone healthy and well. And you mentioned radiation, which even today, even in the 2040s, still is kind of the number one physiological effect that we worry about. We have to keep our astronauts uh, healthy and well. And so we have to protect against that radiation because that could be a showstopper. That could stop all of our missions. So far, so good. We've come up with some really interesting solutions. On the moon, lava tubes are a great place to live, living underground. So it's kind of like being wow. cave dwellers. <laughs> it's great to be a cave dweller. The reason we're underground is because then naturally, you know, living off the natural environment and you have that necessary protection. You have that regolith, you know, basically the structure around you, the organic natural structure. So that really helps for radiation protection on the moon. Now, 
On the Mars, we don't have so many lava caves. So we've come up with some even more advanced technologies in terms of when you, for your spaceship and our habitats, the water that you need to drink, we also have structurally kind of architecturally imagine that the spacecraft there, they have the water on the outside of the craft. Guess why? Well, I need it to drink, of course, but it also helps protect me from radiation. So that's that's pretty ingenious. So the new materials we've developed. So we basically think about it architecturally. We're protecting our astronauts as well as the electronic. They can't have too much radiation exposure or they wouldn't work. And we have some really advanced, uh, interesting advanced propulsion uh, techniques and technologies as well. To, to enable these these Mars missions. Talking about tackling radiation, I was thinking about, you know, planet Earth, our small little beautiful planet Earth, and how much of those key technology advancements and, and key learnings did we take back to planet Earth and help us as humans tackle topics like climate change and other things on this planet. I think the space perspective and even that overview effect, just even when we're low Earth orbit looking down on Earth, we can see Earth very holistically. We see all the systems connected. To me, Earth is a living, breathing spaceship. And as I said, we're all astronauts, we're all crew on this, this one beautiful Earth. But the oceans, to the land, to the air, they're all connected. They're all connected, all the living beings in the ocean, you know, without the blue ocean, we don't have any green earth and living and surviving. So that biodiversity. So that's really one huge advantage that living off the planet provides. It provides this perspective. We call that the overview effect, taking care and that we're all united. We all live on the same planet. It, it helps bridge the divisive gaps. So it really helps bring people together to realize when you're on a space mission, you know that your crew are not only your colleagues and your friends, but you are completely dependent on one another for survival. And so I think that that's a good metaphor, of course, for living on Earth as well, that we are all interconnected and we're all dependent on one another. All of our actions affect the rest and we're all dependent on one another for survival of, of humanity. When it comes to the, the physiology, I just have to say, when we think about radiation for space, of course, the most important thing is all of the breakthrough learnings and science and technology for here on Earth, especially when it comes to looking at the genetics and, and looking at cancer. That's uh, been fantastic. And other pathology like osteoporosis, because when we started studying muscle and bone loss for astronauts, of course, there's still only a, a few space travelers and hundreds of still a few compared to the billions of people here on Earth. But when we can find out the mechanisms of bone loss and muscle loss, the implications and what that's allowed us to do here on Earth to keep people healthy and well with exercise, it's with pharmaceuticals. It's also understanding the detailed mechanisms for bone loss. We learned a lot of that in the early years, in the 2020s and 2030s when we were in space. And now all those learnings have, have really helped the science again in bone loss, osteoporosis and some diseases here on Earth to make Earthlings make all of us healthy and well. And then the breakthroughs in terms of thinking about the radiation protection, not just the materials, things we get down to the genetic code as well and really have a much deeper understanding today in 2040s about how radiation affects our genes. And that in turn has really helped, just uh, hasn't solved, but it's really helped illuminate in terms of cancer and the possible treatments for cancer and also how differently we're all designed in terms of, did you know that some people do not, uh, you know, kind of let's call them rad hard, radiation hard people. That's pretty fantastic. Who would have thought way back in the 2020s wow. that 
that we would have kind of that different genetic makeup. So we've kind of uncovered all of that, but we say the applications, of course, of all of our space technology, all of our space science, the most important applications are those for back here on Earth and for, you know, the billion, the other the billion of my crewmates living here on Earth. Oh, that's that's great to hear back here from 22. I mean, that's wonderful. And you know, you were talking about all of these amazing achievements. I'm wondering about what part technology took in these new, you know, achievements into space. And were there specific technology breakthroughs that enabled the travel and existence on the moon and Mars? Sure did. Getting to the moon wasn't too tough. It, it took us 50 years at uh, MIT. I am the Apollo program professor, <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to get humanity back to the moon as, as soon as we could. So it was nice that we got there, you know, in 2025, but it's only a three-day trip. So that in terms of that, we had to have the heavy lift launch, so the propulsion systems to get us there. So that was great that in the 2020s we got, of course, we had it in the late in late 1960s and 1970s, we had heavy lift launch vehicles, but then the world lost that capability. So fast forward in the fantastic uh, that we got the heavy lift launch capabilities back in the 2020s, that enabled our early human return missions in the 2020s back to the moon. So propulsion was important. And then again, keeping people healthy and well, we really relied on the technologies for closed loop life support systems. You know, we have to have people basically with their life support system around them, whether you're in your vehicle, whether in your spacesuit. I have to provide all the oxygen to you. I have to scrub out your carbon dioxide. I have to, you know, worry about your thermal control in these really hot and extreme environments. The the suit and the the vessel are pressurized to keep you healthy and well. So those were all technologies that we had them on International Space Station originally, those closed loop life support systems, but the technological breakthroughs in the 2020s were to make them closed, you know, air that can recycle itself in this regenerative water that everything that's liquid, and I mean everything, that's completely recycled, you know, and used tomorrow. So these really closing self-sufficiency, that's it, self-sufficiency, closing the air, the water loops, that's what the technology that we developed through the late 2020s, all of those technologies were necessary and for us to get those first human Mars missions in the early 2030s. We needed advanced propulsion. We needed the closed-loop life support systems, spacesuits to keep you know healthy and well. We need to have the radiation protection that I mentioned before, and then that long journey out because it is a two-year round trip. Basically, we take the short leg, the orbital mechanics dictate the short leg, the eight months out to Mars, and. In the future, in the 2050s, what we might have for our Mars missions, maybe the advanced technologies that are coming now in the 2040s will allow us to make that trip in half the time. So wouldn't that be wow. great if we could go out three months or four months rather than the, the big, long eight months? So that's still in the future. So that's still to come. That's amazing. You know, you were talking about planet Earth and looking at it from from space. And I was thinking about one of the most iconic images is of Earth taken from the moon. That picture, I think, had a profound impact on so many people because it really helped understand, you know, like you mentioned, how fragile our planet is. Throughout the years that have passed, as our missions into space became more sophisticated and got us deeper into the solar system, were there any additional iconic images or moments or discoveries that kind of created a similar impact? Yeah, I'd like to highlight a few of them. So this finding the evidence of past life on Mars from the Martian fossils. So I'm sure the imagery, it looks like a fossil, but again, the meaning, the deep, deep meaning that we 
know, and now we know that life existed not only on Earth, but that life existed on Mars. So that story, that narrative that goes along with the amazing fossilized images from the Mars regolith, that's the Mars dirt that we found that life truly did exist 3.5 billion years ago. It really makes you think about Earth and Mars, of course, as sister planets, but so much more connected than we ever thought that life could have evolved, that both of them were wet, warm, wonderful water planets, and then that Mars lost its atmosphere, lost it to down to 1% carbon dioxide. So to see how that happened, and Mars essentially lost its dynamo, what's that? That's its electromagnetic field that kept the life support system alive and well. So really that reflection on Earth, that reflection on Earth that we are so lucky, it's a, the best planet in the solar system in the galaxies that I know of. And, uh, but it's really, uh, again, taught us that if I take Earth and shrink it down to the size of a basketball, our life support system, which keeps us healthy and well, it's only three human hairs thick. Earth, the size of the basketball, if I shrink it down, our life support system, our beautiful atmosphere that we kind of take for granted is only three human hairs thick. So that, I think now humanity knows that, the world knows that, that's what finding the past evidence of life on Mars taught us to how much more intimate the relationship that we have with our planet and the urgency to continue to do the good work, the good work over the last two decades has happened to protect Earth and balance with living things, to really make sure that this understanding is there. So I think that's the biggest, the biggest learnings, the biggest message. I'm so glad to see all the positive activities on Earth for our climate, for our Earth, for our oceans. That's a continues to, to make me very optimistic. So kind of that transformative Earthrise image from the 1970s for the Apollo mission, well, 1968 was the very first one. We continue those taking those beautiful images of Earthrise from the moon. Now, again, we fast forward now that we put Mars as our sister planet, understanding that it had life in the past really helps us think I think much more compassionately, much more empathetically about all of life here on Earth. It sounds like we had to travel very far into space to mm -hmm. really realize the value of what we have right here under our feet. Sometimes that's the case, right? The further away you get from home, you really miss home and your loved ones. And in this case, we miss our planet Earth. And also the other thing that I'm so excited about, and I, I don't know if I would have predicted uh, 20 years ago, but we've taken all of humanity with us to the moon and Mars and say, okay, not physically, Again, still, it's only been hundreds of folks traveling in space, uh, maybe thousands, but every young learner out there now can put on, uh, you know, a nice pair of glasses. They look cool and basically kind of be beamed up to Mars or the moon and explore themselves. So I'm so glad that we got that capability to really transport people. Of course, we've done that through our enhanced and virtual reality, but we could take everyone there. So everyone's an explorer. So I think you ask anyone here on, on Earth today and you'll get uh, probably three, four billion answers to the question, have you been to Mars? And all of our young, our students today say, yes, of course I'm there. I was there today in science class. And and yes, I was there. I was in my political science class. And guess what? We were, we were still debating the law, the law uh, for solar system and outer space treaties. So that's been, I think, also kind of the, the breakthrough to take humanity with us, to open it up and to digitally let all of humanity explore the moon and Mars with us. That sounds simply amazing. And, you know, so sorry, but I do have to pull you now back 
from space to Earth and from 2040 back to 22. So welcome back to the present. And just maybe I'd like to ask you, I mean, you have to go on with your life as it, as it was in 2022. Anything that you're taking away immediately for, for your day-to-day -day life right here and now? First, I take away the optimism, the optimism in uh, this time in, in 2022 when people have been through uh, a lot of disruption, a lot of dislocation, uh, a lot of isolation, that the future is bright that we are all living on earth we're all crew we're all astronauts together and just the message of, of compassion and, and love and that the optimism that uh, we're much better together so if we work together and we celebrate all of our similarities and all of our shared uh, love and, and joy for each other and the earth i think that's again the optimistic future that that i want to live in and that i believe is, is the message and the biggest the biggest learning from the future that's great i'm going to take that uh, immediately and implement it and i want to thank you again so much for joining me for this podcast oh what a pleasure so great to be with you thank you very much happy 2022 to 2040 <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Back From 2040, the KPMG podcast where our guests travel to 2040 and back and tell us all about it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast channel. And if you have any feedback, you can email us on innovation.team at kpmg.com.